here's the one trade-off that you get that is totally worth it. When you, when you give up all of your stuff, your life becomes simple. And that is such, that is such a relief from the stress of having stuff that if you've had stuff all your life, you don't even know what I'm talking about yet. I mean, you just don't know. Welcome to the Off-Grid Outpost podcast, where we discuss the journey to real liberty through self-sufficiency, counter-economics, non-aggression, and the agora. The Outpost represents the border between societal norm and the pioneer spirit. Every episode contains practical, philosophical, and technical information you can use to gain the freedom you deserve. Hey everyone, it's Regina with the Off-Grid Outpost podcast. I'm here with Cyrus. Good morning. So today we are asking if now is the time to get out of the city. What do you think? I think yes. You think yes. I think yes, too. <laughs> I think it's an excellent question, and there's lots to talk about it. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, you know, all these riots and stuff, that would probably be a good precursor to flee the city. Yeah, that's a good enough reason for me. I would have already left if I lived in Portland, I can tell you that. Yeah, or Seattle, or New York. L.A., Ugh. All the craziness. The crazy. Well, and New York had a fairly decent migration of a lot of their upper-class citizens into more rural areas with the first wave of the outbreak back in, what, March? Yeah. Yeah, I have a feeling people were already contemplating it as cities have been deteriorating and getting more expensive to live in. And with the advent of online, uh, you know, working from home, and yeah. learning from home, that's been a huge shift. So people being tied into a city because they have to physically be present to their job. I mean, that's changing. Yeah, that isn't nearly as much of a, dis, uh, you know, a deal breaker anymore. Yeah. Well, and being in Montana, I started seeing that shift um, probably like six or seven years ago. You start seeing these upper-class people moving into Montana and purchasing homes and driving up, you know, prices of real estate because they can now work from home and, you know, still talk to their buddies in their office in Chicago. So right. that's a huge thing that's already been happening. And now it's getting even more, well, it's getting to the point of being mandatory that you have to work from home. Right. And people are finding out it's, not that hard. It's it's enjoyable. I mean, I work from home. I'm unemployed, but I'm working. Right. And uh, I love it. If you have the, you know, the certain willpower in you, it's it's quite nice. Yeah. And then you think about, too, these families with young children where both parents are income earners. And now maybe one of them or both of them have the opportunity to stay home with their children, maybe even do some homeschooling. I mean, these are real possibilities now, whereas before that was a hard choice to make. Well, and you also have to consider that uh, a lot of kids will not be going back to school in the fall in person. Right. So Los Angeles 
well, all of California said most students will not be returning to school in the fall. It'll be distance learning. Yeah. So now you have your kids at home and you're working from home and there's riots going on and there's businesses shutting down and you're like, hmm, you know, right. the city's just not where it's at anymore. Like it was and in the nineties. Yeah. And think of the opportunities for educators now to work from home. Oh yeah. If they're, if their students have to work from home or have to do school work from home, the opportunities for educators to build uh, business models around the homeschooling sector is just huge. That's true. Well, and then it's going to get to the point where everyone's gotten so used to working from home and going to school from home that once things can start opening up, are people even going to go back? Not everyone will. I'm sure of it. I'm sure many are going to be like, shoot, this works out really well for my lifestyle. And I've already moved out of the city and I don't want to be physically present at work. And now they're showing their employers and their teachers and the school system that, hey, we can all do this from home. So why the heck do you even want us to go back into this, you know, infrastructure? Yeah. And that's my thought process. Yeah. So that's just one more thing to answer that question is now the time. Uh, That's just a positive reason. Forget all the negative reasons. You know, that's just one of the positive things that you would get. Well, and I've heard that uh, in New York that they've dropped rents by a third, like or a third, a third of rental properties dropped their rental prices. Because they're having a hard time, I guess, finding renters because people are migrating out of the city. So it's already happening. Yeah. You know, this movement is already happening. The question is, are you going to be riding the wave or are you going to get crushed by the wave? That's your decision you have to make now. Yeah. Or or follow too far behind the wave and you've missed all the opportunity that was good in the beginning. Exactly. And I think that just goes for life in general is, are you in front of that wave or are you behind it? Because it's scary to ride the front of the wave because you are taking right. the risk. You are the thought leader. Yeah. But then in hindsight, you're like, oh, yes, that was the best decision I could have made. Or are you behind and you're like, man, I missed it. Right. And the highest rewards are in front of the wave. Yeah. It's just hard to see that. It's hard to see that foresight. Yeah. And you don't want to be wrong. You know, all the reward is there because that's where the risk is, too. Yeah, exactly. Which I'm starting to realize that there's really no right or wrong in decision making. It's more just cause and consequence. Yeah, that's exactly true. And we get caught up in this binary. Is it right or is it wrong? Is it the right choice for me? Is it the wrong choice for me? That's not really true. It's just a choice. Right. So you have a choice to sell your house or your condo now in the city and move to the rural. Is it the right or wrong choice? It, you know, it depends on your perspective, but it is a choice and you will reap benefits from it and you will also have consequences from it, just like anything else. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So stop asking if it's right or wrong. Start weighing your causes and your consequences, your pros and cons. And every decision you make is going to have a lesson in it anyway. 
Yeah. You know, there are no decisions that are all the right decision. There just aren't any. It's true. And you really see it when you're buying into like stocks or crypto of, you know, buying the top and or buying the bottom and selling the top. I mean, it just doesn't happen. You know, like you're going to worry yourself to death. Oh, it could drop so much lower. I need to wait and buy in. And then you miss the bottom or right. I need to sell right now because it's not going to get any higher and you miss selling the top. I mean, it's just like, it's just decisions, you know, you just make decisions and you got to roll with it. Right. You're not going to get a hundred percent right. A hundred percent wrong. It just doesn't happen. That's just not realistic, but our emotions are tied into these decisions. So that's the hard part. Yeah. And deciding to move is one of the big ones. It's huge, especially if you have, you know, all your family, your friends, your job, your lifestyle. Well, guess what? That's all about to change anyways. <laughs> it already has. Right. Hopefully through uh, this episode, we'll be able to clearly point out all the reasons that we think now's the time to leave the city. It's, it's, uh, yeah. There's never been a better time. Well, if you think you can live the lifestyle you've been living in the city... And that lifestyle is going to keep going. I, I believe you are thinking wrong. I think the lifestyle of the city is forever changed. So everything that you enjoyed is forever like altered, at least for the next decade. I'd give it a good decade before things can really go back to the way they were. And they probably never will. I don't think they're ever coming back to that point. To the point where all the best jobs are in the city. And that's why people move to the city, because the highest paying stuff is there. Um, all the convenience is in the city. Um, you know, all those things are different now. Like, things are more convenient than they've ever been. Yeah. And you can earn money from home. You can earn good money from home. You yeah. Know? You can shop from home. You can do everything from home, which is what they want you to do. They want you to not be out mingling an, among other humans right now. So all the desirable things of living in the city are kind of collapsing, like shopping, you know. That's a huge thing. You have access to the finest goods and retailers and malls. Um, going to theater going to shows, going to concerts, like all the things that I would maybe justify living in the city for. I mean, those have been obliterated. Yeah. By this pandemic. You know, and the, the really big things, like you said, going to shows, going to concerts, uh, sporting events, things like that. That is a that is a day out decision anyway. That's costly. You know, you go spend a hundred take hundred dollars on some football tickets. What does it matter if you're driving thirty miles to get there or ten? Yeah, that's true. You're already spending a hundred dollars on the tickets. You're making a day of it anyway. Yeah, might as well get to the outskirts of the city or even farther and just commit to traveling into doing the things you enjoy. Yeah. If things like that even come back. Right. So what's interesting is all the advantages of the city are now going to be available in the rural areas. But all the downside of the cities are staying in the cities. Yeah. People aren't rioting in the mountains, you know. <laughs> uh, no. Are they, are they rioting in the Ozarks? I mean, 
No, they are. I mean, I think there's two reasons. One, I think uh, writers are just a little too lazy to do that. And two, it would just be too dangerous for them. Yes. Uh, That just, it just wouldn't go over well for the people that live out here. Well, I know in Montana, there is no way in hell people could pull what they pulled in the cities. No way. Because you have to assume in Montana that everyone's packing because they are. Yeah. Every single person is packing and that's what makes it safe. We have lower burglaries. We have lower crime because I'm packing and you're probably packing and we both are in acknowledgement of that. Right. You're going to get shot and it keeps us all safe because we all have that acknowledgement. Yeah, there's very little crime out here where I live. Like, I mean, I just, I don't, I don't know of many stories of people breaking into houses, burglarizing people, uh, home invasion. You don't hear of home invasions out here. Oh, no. No way. Because your ass going to get shot. Yeah, and people know that. Yeah. And there are people out here that I know that would... They wouldn't have a problem shooting you and probably not even call the law. Like, <laughs> like just nobody would know you got shot out here. Yeah, you're just done. You're just yeah. done. And it's not, because they're, it's not because they're bad people or they're mean or anything like that. It's just they just don't see the need in calling anybody. Like, you know, you, uh, you broke into my house and I killed you and it's my right to do it. And it doesn't matter if anybody knows it. Yeah. Well, and I think also... In the rural areas, people are just not stacked upon people. So I think when you start stacking people too much and too high, like, you know, X amount of people per mile, yeah, I think you get to a tipping point where it gets so high that these things naturally happen. But the last time I checked, there's two people per mile in Montana. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. It's like super low. It's two or eight. I mean, it's it's under 10 people per mile in Montana. Yeah. So... You put a perspective in that, you know, and then the biggest city in Montana is a little over 100,000 people. There's more yeah. cows in Montana than there are people, right. you know. 100,000 people in a city, that's not a really big city. It's really, technically, a lot of people wouldn't even consider that a city, but that is our yeah. biggest city. So I think the dynamic of humanity changes when you start stacking people on top of each other. For sure. And you have the added benefit of like the road that I live on it's probably a mile long and there's one two three four five six seven eight nine families that live off of this road yeah and any of us while we're driving on our road going to work or coming home or whatever it is we're doing if we all know each other's car and if there's a car that's on this road that isn't a car that's normally on this road, you get stopped and someone's saying, hey, how, you know, how's your day going? Uh, by the way, what are you doing here? Yep. You know, and I even take it a step further. When I see a strange car, I stop and I'm friendly and I'm just saying, you know, who are you here to see and and ask a couple of friendly questions. And then as they drive off, I'm writing their tag number down. Heck yeah. I mean, that way, if anything does happen, there's only one suspect. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, it's very suspicious for you to have someone on your road. 
Right. Cause, and plus our road isn't even a through road. Like to go on our road, you're going to somebody's house or you're lost yeah, or you're up to no exactly. good. Hmm, and that's just the, but that's the mentality in a rural area, you know, and in the city people, people don't have, it's, people don't have time to pay that close enough, that kind of attention to detail even yeah. if they could, you know, I mean, there's so many people in the city. Could you even pay that close of attention? If you live in an apartment building, you don't know everybody in that building, probably. You, you probably know. don't even know your next door neighbor. Or if you know your next door neighbor, you don't know the one next to them. Right, right. You know, that's that's how far separated the city has become. Even though there's tons of people in the city, they're all like separated from each other. It's super weird. Right. Just because there's too many people. You you just get people blind. So when I go to a city, like, I'm like a smiley eye contact person. And so I'm like right. seeing all of these people and I'm smiling and I'm nice. And I tend to get like targeted <laughs> from solicitors. And then I have to like school myself immediately of don't make eye contact, don't smile. Yeah. And then now you have created a bubble, a force field around yourself. Right. And then when you are just kind of randomly saying, hey, what's up to somebody? They're looking at you like, you know, why are you talking to me? <laughs> yeah. Whereas rural, I, like I smile and wave to everybody. And they hey. smile and wave back. Right. Yeah, exactly. And so that's, you know, the human connection, even though there's way less people, there's more human connection. Which is a nice far, reason yeah. to want to move out of the city. Right. That's a good reason. Yeah. Yeah. Just the mindset is so much better in the rural areas. That's another yeah. plus of why you would want to move yeah. to the country. People still smile and wave at you and ask how your day is going and pleases and thank yous and opening doors. And, you know, mm -hmm. it's nice. It's really nice. And that goes for pretty much like I've traveled across the country and we tend to land in small rural towns because that's where they put oil and gas pipelines. Mm -hmm. And it's typically throughout from what I've experienced, it's not just in a particular region. It's if you're in a small rural area, people are pretty friendly, pretty much friendly like that. Yeah. Still. And and they look out for each other and they take care of each other. It's not the same in the city unless, you know, you're just close friends with somebody or you uh, go to church with them or something like that. You just like, for example, I've got a neighbor who lives a quarter mile from me. And he was telling me how his tomato plants failed this year. Well, mine are yeah. blowing up. Mine are blowing up. So I'm going to take him a couple of bags of tomatoes. Oh, nice. And, and he lives a quarter mile from me. But that's yeah. a, in, in rural terms, that's my next door neighbor. Yeah, that's very close. Yeah. In the city, that's eons away. Right. Yeah. You know, and I, I'm sure there's positives to living in the city that I don't realize because I haven't ever really lived in a city. I've visited cities, but I've never really lived in an actual city. So I'm sure there's like some really cool cultural things going on and probably sure. camaraderies that I just don't see and I don't know. And if you do live in a city and you'd like to speak up about your city and how awesome it is, I'd, I'd like to hear it. Yeah, tell us why you uh, why you love living there, why you want to stay there, why you'd never leave there, whatever. Yeah, you can leave us a voice message. There is a link in the show notes to leaving us a voice message, and we can highlight you on our show.
Shoot ya. Um, so one point that I want to make um, to advocate for getting out of the city now is uh, the statistics that are going on with commercial bankruptcies and commercial missed payments. So uh, 20 to 25,000 stores could permanently close within the wake of the pandemic and the rioting and the financial collapse. That's a lot of stores. Yeah, that's a bunch. That seems like a very uh, conservative view to me, too. It probably is. And I got that uh, stat from a mainstream media site, a news site. So they tend to go conservative. And uh, 60% of those store closures would happen in malls. So we're seeing the fall of the mall, the mall fall. Yeah. Which has been um, happening for several years now. So this is kind of just, you know, pushing them past the red zone. And one of the larger companies, CBL, that owns over 100 malls is prepping. They're preparing for bankruptcy right now. Yeah. So we're seeing mall closures. We're seeing store closures. Uh, the delinquency in commercial real estate, like uh, properties or renters being able to pay on their commercial property, those are rapidly rising. So people are missing their payments. You know, these businesses are missing their payments. And uh, that includes, you know, hotels, restaurants, retail, Mm -hmm. travel-related delinquencies. So I have this vision... I'm a very visual person, but I have this vision of being in the city and just seeing all the stores closing around you, like 90% of the stores closing around you. Just closing down, yeah. And now you're getting starved of commodities because the the stores are closing, so now you're left with your very basic grocery store and convenience store, but anything above and beyond that is shuttered. And then you just have blight, you know, the blight becomes an issue. Just like we saw in uh, Detroit, you know. Right. And then you've got the you know, the residential foreclosure rate is just going to go through the roof. I mean, people would already be in foreclosure right now if it wasn't for the moratorium on foreclosures that the government uh, has done. Well, 30% and, of Americans missed their housing payment in June. So right. had this safety zone not been installed for people yes there there would be a tidal wave of foreclosures and it's i mean i know they've got a moratorium on it but they can't do that forever so these foreclosures are going to hit sometime well that's what i'm wondering like when is this tidal wave you know they're just artificially pushing back the collapse and artificially pushing back the tidal wave of foreclosures the tidal wave of you know, this unemployment situation by feeding us a bunch of dollars. And at some point, it's all going to come to an ugly head. Like, it's just the balance of nature. It's the law of nature. Like, you Mm -hmm. cannot beat nature. If there's one thing I've learned in life. Right. You know, at some point, it's going to come back around and bite us in the ass even harder if we just said, hey, let's let it go now. Let's let this happen. Let's let it run its course. Keynesian economics does not work inflating artificially the stock market doesn't work let's just let it go now but they're just not they're just digging the grave even deeper 
Yeah. And all the rich people are collecting dollars off of it, basically. Right. Well, and the, the moratorium is expected to end at the end of September, I think. I'm not entirely sure when the rental moratorium is over. But they're going to have to install something else. Like, you can't tell people to stay home, but not pay people to stay home, basically. Right. Like, if you want me to stay home and not spread coronavirus, then you need to pay me. And they have been. Right. You know. But they can't do that forever either. Yeah. So when what is the what does this all come down? What is the big culmination here? You know. Right. And so when it does come down, it's things are going to get really tough, and the city is the last place you want to be in when things get really tough. Well, we already have the full scale rioting, and yeah, citizens and their personal property are not being protected. I mean, these no. people are bashing up windows graffitiing, destroying cars, and no one's, like, stopping them, which is bizarro Port- world to me. Yeah, Portland is going crazy. Yeah. I mean, it's just... Did you see that video where the, the mayor, like, went out into the rioting crowd? Yeah, right? no, Cody was telling me about it, but I didn't watch it. Oh, my God. So, <laughs> I don't know what this guy was thinking. Like, he was going to go out there and talk to these rioters... And, you know, do a little photo op thing, like, to show the world that it's, these are peaceful protesters, (laughs) you know. And he's out there, and there's literally a fire in the background. (laughs) Someone had set something on fire. Nothing to see here, folks. Yeah, there's mortar shells going off all around. and, And he's like, see, everything is fine. I don't know why. I don't know why they're throwing uh, tear gas into the crowd. Wow. And, and this is as they're setting the federal building on fire. I mean, I don't know what the guy was thinking. It, it's hilarious. I'm going to have to look it up. Yeah. It's really funny. And he's surrounded by like four bodyguards and they finally get him into the, they push him back into this building and the look on his face is priceless. I mean, it is like, I mean, you could tell he was scared when he was out yeah. there. And he's trying to remain calm, you know, but you can see it on his face. Like he did a terrible job hiding it. Oh and my God. the look, the look of relief on his face when he's in that building. He's like, oh, thank goodness I didn't die. <laughs> yeah. And then nothing like, to see here, folks. <laughs> right. And within like 12 hours, the police department uh, declares it a riot. Yeah. It's like, after he had been out a there. Riot. <laughs> yeah. Maybe, you know, burning buildings and vandalism and. You know, complete chaos is, you know, that might be a riot. Yeah. It's unbelievable what they're trying to pull over. Like, they're literally trying to pull the wool over our eyes. Like, we don't have eyeballs. Yeah. (laughs) Calling them. I I don't know why they're still calling them protesters. Like, they stopped being protesters a long time ago. Well, I think we're getting protesters, peaceful, organized protesting more so during the day and then crazy balls to the walls riot during the night. That's kind of seems to be the pattern. Right. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong, but so I think there is a portion of peaceful protest protesters, but I think it's now becoming disproportional, disproportional rioters. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't been following the Portland thing though. I might need to brush up on that. I know it's been going on for a long time. Yeah. A couple months. I mean, how could you not want to be selling your property and getting the hell out? I mean, how could you not like just seeing that? Do you think it's going to end? I don't, I just don't think this is ending good. 
yeah, what's crazy is a lot of this stuff is escalating. I mean, I know in the in a few episodes we've talked about BLM and that movement, and they are ratcheting things up. They're not backing down. They're not backing they're, down. They're increasing their activity and they're recruiting and running TV spots and YouTube spots. and uh, They're increasing the pressure. They are backed by corporate dollars. They are backed yeah. by practically every freaking large retailer online is like, Black Lives Matter. We believe in Black Lives Matter. So they have huge amounts of support, which is bolstering their position. Right, because they don't want their offices uh, set on fire. <laughs> Pretty much. Because, I mean, yeah, what would happen if you were, like, anti-BLM, you know? Right. You can't be anti-BLM right now. No, it doesn't it, matter. You are putting yourself at risk to be anti-BLM right now. And, it, you know, it doesn't matter that what they stand for is Marxism. Yeah. But it is. We're going to have to do a whole show on that, I'm telling you. But We might have to pull the trigger on the BLM show, which may get us in a little bit of hot water. I think we can scathe by in podcast format. We're, we're kind of pushing the envelope as it is. Yeah, like, there but... is no way in hell we could get away with this on uh, YouTube. But oh, I'm no. pretty sure, oh, no. like, I'm pretty sure podcasts are still relatively uncensored. So that's kind of why we're taking these risks. Yeah. You know, and, and exercising our free speech. Because I think we're going to be okay. But it would be a risk to do a BLM show. But I feel like someone's got to call the spade a spade at some point. Oh, geez. Don't use that word. Spade? <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> I don't get it. I, well, it's because you're not racist. But if you... Oh, okay. You know, it Is there it a racist connotation a racist to co- a spade <laughs> right, and, right. and slavery or some shit? I don't know. Right. I... I if you're not racist, you don't catch those kind of things. I mean, the, did you catch that deal where, um, oh my gosh, what is that website? Anyway, there's some website that's like a urban dictionary kind of thing. Yeah. And, and all of the different derogatory slangs for the different uh, races. And like, I don't, I don't know hardly any of them. Like they're the weirdest words. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like who calls, I've never heard anyone call anybody that, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah, those are fun to scroll through sometimes. Uh, yeah. And sometimes I'm such a square, like people use this slang and I have to go look it up on Urban Dictionary. <laughs> right. Yeah. Wait, what does that mean? Okay, now I know. But uh, before I so rudely interrupted you, you're right, though. I mean, someone's got to say something. Yeah. You know? I think so. I think so. And I think it could be us. Yeah. I think we should probably go out a little bit on a limb. And do that. I think that, you know, maybe the worst thing that happens is uh, we get some hate mail. But, you know, I've never had hate mail, so. I kind of want hate mail. I'm I'm just, like, waiting for it, to be honest. Like, I, well, I've just, I want to know what it feels like, I guess. I've never had it. <laughs> well, and like we were talking about before, like, the farther you remove yourself from the situation the more like laughable and entertaining and entertaining it is. So like if you're like at ground zero and you are in Portland and you are witnessing these protests, it is like, or the riots, I should say, that's like scary, you know? Right. And you're seeing massive like 
commercial closures and your local shops are shutting down and your bars are shut down and your restaurants are shut down. Like I would be terrified. Yeah. But since I'm like so far removed, I can look at it and not necessarily laugh at it, but be like, wow, you know, that's something. Well, and and so my emotional attachment is so far removed that it almost becomes a form of entertainment. And the, the closer I get to like, being off grid and being self sufficient, the more I can just watch the movie of twenty twenty. Right. And and see be able to clearly see the absurdity of so much of what's going on. Yes. When you remove yourself from the situation, you see the tragic comedy of the absurdity of what's going on. It's just absolutely insane. Your total yeah. pers- your per- your perspective is totally changed and altered. Yeah, that's the perfect word for it. Tragic comedy. Yeah. That's exactly what it is. But I also don't feel the fear. And I've chosen to not live my life by fear. Because fear is what incapacitates you to take action. And subordinates you into the system. Right. And I'm so ready to, like, let go of these fears. And I think when you're so close to it, the the fear is real, you know? Mm-hmm. So what are what are some other reasons for um, leaving the city? Um, did well, you have any other reasons? Yeah. Uh, I think one of the main reasons is if if you see yourself in a position, like if, if, if you've thought about moving to the country or even better thought about moving off grid, but have always thought that you just couldn't do it, now's the time to do it. This is a great yeah. time to go off grid. The best time. Yeah, this is the best time to do it. I mean, we've already gone over some of the things about how the convenience of the city is no longer a thing and how the dangers of the city are more real than the dangers of the rural area. Uh, even if you send your kids to public schools, they're usually better in rural areas than they are in the cities. Yes, the um, quality's better. Yeah, so there are a lot of good reasons to make the move. But the urgency, I think, is is in this next part, which is right now, the housing market is a seller's market. For some reason, people are buying real estate like crazy. Prices are way up, and there's not a lot of inventory in the market. So the seller has... crazy to me. I know. It's just crazy to me. Like, do people not see the writing on the wall? Right. And, and so the, the seller has all the advantage right now, but that is about to change. I mean, I don't have a crystal ball, but I'm making a prediction that that is about to change because especially, I think a lot of foreclosures are about to happen. That will, that will flood the market with cheap housing because when a, when a bank gets a piece of real estate back, they just want to sell it. They will bottom dollar that thing. I mean, that's that's the whole business model of real estate investing is buy cheap. And foreclosure is one of the best ways for investors to buy cheap because yeah. the bank will sell it cheap. And so the the market is going to get flooded with houses that are cheap. And so the seller is going to lose all the advantage and prices are going to come back down. Right now, they're at record highs again. Yeah. Prices will come back down, and whatever equity you have in the house, you'll start to lose it. 
And the equity is what is really going to make this move a very viable option for you. And so I think this is all going to start happening within a matter of months by the end of this year, if not by the end of this year, certainly into next year sometime, this is all going to happen and the, the, the housing market is going to take a dive. And so now's the time to sell the house. I mean, we were just talking about buying at the bottom and selling at the top. We're near yeah. the top right now. Yeah, this is the top, people. This is so the top it, of the housing market. And yeah, I think it's tied into the election. I think that we're seeing all this artificial pumping. Um, and And once the election is done and whoever gets the four years, then we're just going to see it just plip. It's going right. to deflate. That's what yeah. I think. Yeah. Either, whichever way it goes, whoever stay, you know, whoever ends up in the office. And, you know, that's another point, too, because the Trump administration wants to do everything it can to make the economic numbers look good running up into this election so that he can say, you know, all of his I'm awesome stuff. And the way he's going to do that, I think one of the ways is, is that he will uh, put an exclusion on the capital gains tax, which will also bring more houses into the market because people who were on the fence about selling will decide to sell because they'll save a 20% tax if they get a capital gains exclusion. So basically the the net profit they make from selling the house will be exempt from taxation. Right. On, on capital gains, which is only going to affect a certain number of people because some people won't pay capital gains anyway. But yeah. there are people on the fence about that, that that will push over and they'll list their house and put it on the market. And so it's just a matter of supply and demand. Right now, the supply for houses is low. And that's why your your ability to get a great price for your house is so good right now. But once that supply goes up through foreclosures and people deciding to sell their houses. Uh, plus you've got um, short sales that'll happen when the moratorium on foreclosures ends and people are in that space where they are going to get foreclosed on. A lot of people mm -hmm. will sell their house before that happens so that they don't get foreclosed on and they'll yeah. just take a hit. And so I, I, I think everything points to the housing market taking a dive in the near future. And so now's the time to just sell your house. I mean, even if, I mean, if it was me and I owned a house in the city, I would be putting it on the market tomorrow. And yeah. especially like if I owned, if I owned a camper or an RV, or I had a family member that had a camper or an RV that would let me use it, I would sell that house even if I didn't have a place to go. And I would well, and that's that what RV. I was just about to mention was the RV camper motorhome option, which is becoming a huge movement in America. Right. Um, I don't know how many of our viewers have noticed how many RVs are on the road. Well, most of the RVs you see on the road, people are living in. Yeah. There's a lot of people that live in RVs. Yeah. Yes. And it's very affordable. I, I mean... I feel like that's a really good option for people who feel they are stuck in the city is to get into an affordable used RV or motorhome or even, you know, some of these vans, they make these yeah. vans like retro 
like fitted into a living situation and you can live out of your van. And that might sound like homelessness to some people, but for me, it's been freaking liberating as all get out to be in an RV. Like I will probably always live in an RV at this point. Right. Oh, there's a lot of people in that same boat. Well, and once you buy property too, you plop your RV on it. Yeah. That was another thing I was going to say too. I was on the internet just looking to see what the availability of land is. And I was finding all over the country land that you can get for a thousand dollars an acre. And some of it's even, some of it's even owner financed, you know, so you, you put down $500, you pay like $89 a month for five acres. Yeah. Now you've got to be careful because a lot of this really cheap land is really cheap for a reason. Usually that's the case. Yeah. It might not be the most desirable place to live. Well, it it might not be, but there are solutions. You know, a lot of these places, like there's no, uh, there's no services, you know, no electrical, no city water, city sewer. So you have to solve those problems, but there are answers to those problems. It's not like that's a deal breaker. There are real legitimate answers to those problems. And, uh, you know, that's where going off grid comes into play. And a lot of people, too, especially if they have young kids, they think, oh, well, we just couldn't do that. Well, you know, do some digging on YouTube. You'll find there are a lot of people already doing it, and they love it. The kids There's a love huge it. shift into that, into the lifestyle, for sure. There's been a huge yeah. shift with distance learning and online learning and online working that you can you can really shift out of the city a lot more easier than you could have 10 years ago. Yeah. Or 20 or 5 years ago, even. And I'd like to take a minute and talk about one of my viewpoints in life. And it's that we've become all too comfortable in our situations. And when you make change, it's going to be uncomfortable. It's going to take effort. And as a human species, we seek homeostasis because that's a survival mechanism. Right. We want to be 70 degrees. We want to have soft beds and soft pillows. We want to have comfort and and repetition. But these are all becoming very serious illusions. Our comfort is an illusion because we become comfortable relying on grocery stores. We become comfortable on city power, city water, sewer systems. It's all for our comforts and yeah. our uh, conveniences. But they're, they're shifting into being an illusion and you're better off being proactive and, and making the uncomfortable decision and maybe living in discomfort for a while rather than having these comforts being pulled out from underneath you and losing them and being yeah. like, oh shit, what do I do now? You know? Right. And so the, the swap that people make is not the same anymore. So we would change, we would exchange the uh, convenience and the comfort, comfort because it's a form of security. But now that comfort, that illusion of the comfort that you talked about, it's, it's no longer where the security is. Yeah. It's a false sense of security at this point. I mean, what would it take to stop getting groceries into a city? I mean, what would like, what would happen where deliveries couldn't be getting made to your local grocery store that you are 100% relying on. 
Like what, what would, what would happen? What would be a scenario? Well, I mean, it happens all the time during natural disasters and things like that. But, you know, you get things going on like these riots that are happening in Portland. You know, there's not any deliveries getting made there. When you had CHOP over in Seattle, uh, the government was sending food into those people. Yeah, they were like actually having to deliver food to the CHOP people. Yeah, food and water. Because, yeah. you know, they didn't, they didn't, there was nothing there for them to, once they had looted all the stores in their little six block area, there was nothing left. Yeah, exactly. Oh, I laugh, but I, I'm not laughing because it's funny. I'm laughing because it's strange. It is. Yeah, so it, it, it really wouldn't take much to lose your false sense of comforts in the city. And yeah, it's a lot to like make that decision. You know, like if you transition into RV lifestyle or off-grid lifestyle, like all of your stuff, you know, stuff is a big problem. Right. So you're used to your Ikea furniture and your tchotchkes and your this and your that that you're all emotionally attached to. Well, forget the stuff. It's time to like let go of your love for things, which is very anti what we've been brought up, which is buy, consume. The American dream. Shopping sprees. Right. Put things on credit cards. Like, it's time to, like, shift your mind state away from stuff. I've got two points to make about that. Yeah. So, here's the one trade-off that you get that is totally worth it. When you you give up all of your stuff, Mm -hmm. your life becomes simple. And that oh, is such so nice. that is such a relief from the stress of having stuff that if you've had stuff all your life, you don't even know what I'm talking about yet. I yeah. mean, you just don't know. It's incredible when you when we transition to this lifestyle and and you know, like we don't even own a TV anymore, and we wow. would sit out we would sit outside in the evenings in our, uh, what we call our outdoor living room and read a book and there's crickets and frogs in the background and we're just reading a book. I mean, that it was, it's so simple, but, but you were reading it together, right? Like one of you was like reading the book out loud and the other was listening. And that's like a really super awesome bonding moment. Yeah. I would read out loud and my wife would listen and we went through Tons of books, tons of books. And the other point is this. If you have kids and you're worried about your kids who have grown up in the city, we've had one, two, three, four, five kids come out and visit us out here at various times and, you know, stay a couple of nights. Um, We had one grandson that stayed a couple of weeks with us. Now, these are city kids who have grown up with TV and video games and uh, everything to do in the city to keep them occupied. Mm-hmm. And all they wanted to do was come back out here. Wow. And there's nothing out real. here to do except play around in the woods, uh, you know, learn to shoot firearms and bows and arrows and and go find stuff and see the animals and 
these kids. That sounds that, like paradise to me. Yeah, and these kids loved it. So if you're worried about your kids living this kind of lifestyle, trust me, it's a better lifestyle for them. Way better. Yep. Oh, it is. It's so much healthier. And the crap they put in these video games is unfrickin' real. Holy moly. These kids' brains are just being poisoned to violence and sexual assault and horribly immoral ideas through these video games. It's it's pretty insane that it's become so acceptable. Yeah, it's been years since I played video games with my boy. He was... Yeah, the video games of yonder years are not the video games of today. And they're very realistic. So you do these first-person shooter games, and it's like you're there, man. I mean, it's like you're doing it. You know, your mind gets into it, and and you are in that zone. An altered reality state. Huh. Yeah, it's, it's highly unusual. But, yeah, I agree. It's just a healthier lifestyle. It's a more pure life. It's a real lifestyle. It's it's reality. Enjoyable reality. Yeah. And so many people hate their reality. They do their daily grind at work and they're miserable and, you know, they drink or smoke weed or whatever, you know, to make their life a little more numb. It's like, you don't yeah. have to live like that. You just have to have the balls to make yourself uncomfortable for a little bit to transition into a free lifestyle. And it's not easy, and it takes a lot of ingenuity and creativity. But once you get there, it's like just the most fulfilling feeling you could ever accomplish in your life. Yeah, the the level of discomfort is temporary. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's just when you're transitioning and getting used to it. That's that's it, and then it's over. Yeah, exactly. And I know there's a lot of people out there listening. Well, I hope there's a lot of people out there listening, but <laughs> that in the back of their mind, they want to do it. They just think they can't. They just think it's not yeah. possible, um, but it is possible. All you got to do is decide 100%. to do it. It's possible for every single person because a lot of times, most times, all the times, you have to start the journey before you see the opportunity which is very scary. So like when I started building Maximum Off-Grid website, I had to just take that first step and start building it. And there is no way I could have foreseen the journey that the website was, you know, right? and building that property. It's the same thing for when you go off-grid. You have no idea. Like you can read all you want. You can plan and that's all good. You know, like do your planning, do your prepping, do your research. But you're really not going to know until you actually start the journey. And then things get fun. Right. You start meeting people. You start making connections. You start learning about land and water and flora and fauna. It's quite exciting. Yeah, for sure. The fear, people just go blind from the fear of taking that first step. And it's the zero to one is the hardest. One to two, two to three. That's not nearly as hard as zero to one. Right. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. I was also going to bring up a couple other statistics just to give people a heads up about a couple of things. Um, If they do decide to take this leap, sell their house, Mm -hmm. I pulled up some statistics about the current home buyers. Okay. So 
millennials make up 38% of the buyer made up 38% of the buyers in June. Because mm. the, the millennial generation is a huge generation. And it so is. they're, they've started buying houses, uh, have been buying houses for a while, but they're the majority in the market now. Well, and just a quick note on millennials, like, I want to mention that I am actually a millennial. Uh-huh. <laughs> I don't right. like admit that very often because I definitely <laughs> resonate with Generation X. I was born in 82 and I think the cutoff for millennials was like 81. So I'm literally a millennial by a year. But your yeah. millennials are now your 30-somethings and your late 20-somethings. They're right. no longer the kids. Like everyone keeps thinking of millennials as the kids. No, that's Generation Z is the kids, your teens. Right. So we're already moving millennials into adulthood and well into adulthood. And I feel like that's a common misconception. Millennials right. are 30s and millennials in just a yeah, couple of years will be now. in their 40s. Yes, I am yeah. a freaking adult and yeah. I'm not a leech or a mooch off the system or live in my mom's fucking basement. Like, let's get over this concept here a little <laughs> bit, people. Like, let's move on. Yeah. <laughs> well, so when you my- say millennials, you're literally talking about late 30 year olds to late 20 year olds at this point. Right. Yeah. Well, and you know, my point was that if if you're going to sell your house, this is the this is the market to these are the people to market to. Yeah. And so 98% of the millennial buyers looked for their house online. 98%. Mm-hmm. That is mm-hmm. Uh, there's like a handful of people that didn't, you know what I mean? And so 85% of them found their house online. So if you decide to sell your house, whether it's with a, with a broker or for sale by owner, uh, you, you need to put it online. If you don't have the ability to just build your own site, then it's probably even better just to find a site that you can list your house on and just pay the fee because, uh, 85% of the 38% of the market found their house online. Yeah. And you can be savvy and do all the work yourself. Just post all your stuff online. Like take that stuff, cut out the real estate agent who's going to get a crap ton of money when you close, cut them out and do it yourself and post to all these different, you know, online marketplaces that will propagate your property throughout the website stratosphere. Yeah. I'll, I'll bet there's a lot of people right now because this is such a seller's market. I bet there are people right now that are selling on Facebook, selling their houses on Facebook. Yeah. Facebook marketplace, I'm sure is huge. Um, I know like Zillow is huge, Mm -hmm. Trulia, and I'm not sure exactly how to get your listing on those apps. I think it literally just propagates through the stratosphere. Like they pick up on an RSS feed or something. Yeah. I'm sure they make it super easy. Yeah, I'm sure it's super easy. And I mean, everything's super easy online. It just takes some work, you know, you just got to sit down and do it. Put right. it out there and and try and cut out that middleman and save yourself 10, 15 grand. Yeah. And put then take house. that 10, 15 grand and buy gold and silver immediately. <laughs> yeah. Put your house on the market and start looking for a raw piece of land and find a RV or a camper. Move out onto it when you sell your house. And start start building a simple life away from all the crap that's happening. Yep. There's never been a better time. Work from there. Get a, you know, work from your laptop. Uh, there's just, uh, there's a ton of ways to make money online now. Yeah. 
I agree. Um, did you have any more statistics before I bring up a point? No, that was it. That was it for me. Okay. I'd like to maybe talk a little bit about people who just really cannot get out of the city at this point, like, and maybe a little bit of advice for these people, because it's easy to, like, motivate someone through a one-hour podcast, but then, like, the reality sinks in, and most people will probably just stay put for, you know, whatever reason, excuse they have, so... Yeah. You know, for those people, they really need to start considering making a solid bug out strategy to bug out of the city if things just, if SHTF, like, really hard, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah, if you plan to stay in the city, have a plan, have an exit strategy from the city if things get bad. Yep. For sure. And that entails, you know, first off, you need to evaluate each person in your party so you are husband and wife with two kids you know Mm -hmm. do any of you have any health issues do any of you have any uh, strengths and weaknesses that can be used in a bug out so basically a bug out is shit's hitting the fan you need to evacuate and how the hell are you going to get out safely and soundly and where are you going to go so you need to think about where, where you're going to end up, you know, first let's get you out of the city, which is going to be probably a 72 hour endeavor Mm -hmm. and choose a place that you can go for safe haven. It could be a friend or family member who lives close enough, but far enough to be away from the city. It could be an abandoned farm you found searching on Google earth. It could be even a hotel, an Airbnb, something like, you know, you've got to have your location chosen out. You've got to evaluate the people in your party. You've got to evaluate where will the people be if shit hits the fan? Is your wife going to be at work? Is your kids going to be at school? Are you going to all be together and choose a place to congregate? Like, okay, if shit hits the fan, we're going to meet on the corner of this street or we're going to meet at this park. You know, it's yeah. lots of details you have to think about when you're bugging out, especially out of a city. Yeah, and you have to uh, you have to run through scenarios in your head of what would what would cause us to bug out, and think of all of that ahead of time. As much yes. of those kinds of scenarios as you can ahead of time. There's no way you can prepare for every possible eventuality, but the more of that that you put in your head. When you see something happening, it will trigger the thought process in your head of, oh, we should probably start thinking about getting out of here. And without the, without that, uh, pre planning and thinking about that, it'll, your best opportunity to evacuate will just pass you by. Yeah. And then, and then the evacuation becomes more difficult and more dangerous. Well, and a few examples of, Scenarios would be, okay, if the city loses power, how many hours do you think it's going to be until SHTF, a city without power? I'd say three days of no power. Three to five, I would be considering a bug out. If a city runs out of water, you're looking at 24 hours, maybe even 12. If, if If the water really ran out for like 12 hours to the city, I would be eyeballing bugging out 
Yeah, and if the if you lose power for something other than like a lightning storm or something out, yeah, or something like that, I bug I would bug out immediately because you can always go back. You know, a Carrington event or an EMP electromagnetic electromagnetic pulse attack, you're screwed. Get the hell out. Yeah, 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 and and other than usual lightning or a power outage, and then there's food. You know, food shortage. You know, that's another one. Um, protesting, rioting. You know, protesting, rioting, you might want to just bug in and maybe weather the storm. Well, I think, you know, if it was me and I was in uh, Seattle when that happened, I would have got out of that six block area. I would not have stayed. There were people there uh, saying that they were felt like they were held hostage in their own homes. Um you know, I would have, I would have bugged out. I wouldn't have stayed there. Yeah, I heard of some really awful things happening to the residents in that six block area, and I can't speak to the truths. Yeah, but if they were true, you know, it was crimes against humanity. Some of the things right. I heard. Yeah, I would have bugged out. I, if Same. if uh, Antifa happened on my block, I would have had my go bag, and I would have bugged out. Yeah, that would be a perfect time to bug out, and that was what two or three weeks of takeover they had. Yeah. So you literally would have had to just bug out to like a hotel or an Airbnb or gone camping for a few weeks or lived out of your, well, you probably, you couldn't even drive your vehicle out. And that's another big point I want to make about bugging out of the city is the chances of you bugging out in a vehicle don't, don't count on it. Yeah. You know, you want to make sure that you can evacuate your vehicle as needed. Because you're going to have traffic jams, you're going to have barricades, you're going to have possible protesters, rioters. You know, you've got to make sure that if you are able to do part of your journey in the vehicle, that's great. But be prepared to evacuate your vehicle at any moment. Yeah, and that's another one of the important uh, reasons to think things through ahead of time so that you can leave if you get the opportunity to see things coming, you start leaving before everybody else realizes it's time to leave. And then you get out with your vehicle. You make your whole trip with your vehicle. Yeah. But you're right. You've got to be, chances are you don't get to do that. In a, oh, in a be really super bad awesome situation. If you could. Yeah. I mean, if you could just drive your 15 minutes out of the city in your vehicle, hell yeah. Good for you. Like I'm glad for you, but your 15 minutes in a vehicle turns into a 72 hour trip on foot. Right. If not longer. So um, you also want to plan your bug out along, if possible, water. Access mm -hmm. to water. Because carrying water is very heavy and it takes up a lot of room in your bug out bag. Yeah, that's right. And if you have a large family, it's a lot of water. Yeah, bugging out with kids through a city in a crisis would really suck. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. It wouldn't be fun. Which is why, you know, maybe depending on the situation, bugging in is a good idea. So you should have preps in your apartment. You should have preps in your home and uh, self-defense mechanisms yeah, for security. if people are trying to break in and trying to get your preps. And I would say, you know, don't even share with anybody about your preps, even your best of friends. Because when people get hungry and starving and thirsty, they don't give a shit if you're their best friend. Yeah. So that's just some bug out tips. It'd be really great if we did a whole episode of bugging out of the city 
and that could easily fill up a whole episode and we can get into all all sorts of scenarios and gear and stuff. That'd be really fun. Yeah, that's a, a series of episodes. Well, and I actually wrote I wrote a uh, very comprehensive ultimate bug out guide contents listed and explained on maximumoffgrid.com. Yeah, it's an 8,000 word article. It took me like a month to write it. It's basically an ebook. Yeah, of, I was going to say it's crazy detailed. It's one of the largest yeah. blog posts I've ever read. <laughs> Seriously. It's like a it's repository packed. of really good information, actually. Yeah. I'm very proud of it. It is packed with useful stuff. Yeah. So uh, definitely head over there for some ideas on how to make a bug out bag. I actually write down the weight, the average weight of each item so you can calculate how much your bug out bag will weigh in the end. Um, But I know for a lot of people, making a bug out bag seems daunting, and it is. So you can also purchase pre-made bug out bags, which are pretty good, actually. There's a lot of really good pre-made bug out bags out there. They have come a long way in the last decade. They really have. Oh, especially the last couple of years as it's become more popular. So if that's the route you want to take, we have a list of really good uh, pre-made bug out bags that you can buy on Amazon. So you can check that out at theoffgridoutpost.com slash product recommendations. And uh, there's there's quite a good list at different price points. I mean, for 150 bucks, you can get a pretty darn good bug out bag with food, water, first aid, uh, some shelter building items, and some water purification items. Pretty much everything that's going to help you get to where you need to go. Another thing to consider, too, is if you have a commute that is a long commute, well, I guess it really doesn't matter what the commute is, but Mm -hmm. uh, you can have what's called a get-home bag also, which is if you get stuck in the middle of some crap and you've got to get home and and you can't drive home. Mm. I mean, I, I carry what I call my everyday carry bag. Well, I call it my purse in all the time, but I've got, I carry a pistol. I carry a fire starter kit. Uh, Mm -hmm. I I, I keep all the things I would need that if I'm in town, which for me is 20 miles away. And if I've got to make it home on foot, I've got everything in that bag to do it. Nice. So that's another consideration too, just to get yourself home. Sometimes that's necessary. Yeah, that's kind of the reverse engineer of a bug out bag. Mm-hmm. And, you know, yeah, you just keep it in cool. your car. You keep it in your vehicle. You never take it out. And then that way it's there if you need it. Yeah, we have multiple bags. Cody has a bug out vehicle bag, you know, because we have our larger bug out bags here. And then he has a smaller bug out vehicle bag that stays in the truck. Which is smart, right. because are you going to remember every day to grab your bug out bag? Some people do that. You know, you put yeah, it right by your front do. door, you grab it when you go to work, you take it home. But for a lot of people, that's not really the best option. So you might as well have a secondary bag in your vehicle, whether yeah. it's to get home or to bug out or whatnot. It should be fairly similar, I imagine. Yeah. Well, yeah. I'm, you know, my 
my everyday carry bag is much smaller because yeah, the smaller, idea of it, yeah, yeah, the idea of it is just to be able to get me home. And I have walked to town, so I know how long it takes me to get to town in good normal conditions. Well, how long is that? Uh, it took me fifteen hours. Fifteen hours. Okay. Wow. Well, that was headed to town, headed back. Okay, round trip. Yeah, but that's walking. You know, that's walking down the street. So in a in a bad situation, I'm not going to be walking down the streets. I'm going to be walking at the edges of tree lines. I'm going to be trying to stay out of sight. Uh, so it's going to take longer. I'm going yeah, to I'm going to hide every time I see sketchy shit. You know. Yeah. My idea is to get home safely, avoid all contact. Uh, you know, so it would take quite a bit longer, but I don't need a 72-hour bug-out bag to get just to get home. Well, and that's a good point you make for people also in the city. Don't take your most direct route when you build your, you know, because I suggest actually getting a printout map and having a, a route drawn on a map. Draw multiple routes because your main thoroughways are going to be your most dangerous thoroughways that could get blocked and you could get trapped. Right. And so you, you can... yeah. You can, one thing you can do right now is most people take the same route to work every day. Yeah. Or when they go to the store, they take the same exact route every day. Take different routes, going home, going to work, going to the store, going to the gym, take all different routes. And the only reason you want to do that is because it, one, it will familiarize your, yourself with alternate routes in case uh, your main route is blockaded or dangerous or, or whatever. But yeah. what it also does is you start to see the things that are around your area that you would have never noticed before that in a shit hit the fan situation would be places of opportunity. You know, um, a, yeah. a lot of, a lot of my plan for ty uh, a bug out type situation, which I, I don't really have much of a bug out situation because where I am, you would almost always be in a bug in situation, but my deal was always getting home from the city. Yeah, and so, yeah, exactly. Well, and that's the nice thing about moving out of the city and into a rural area is you're not concerned about bugging out. You just stay at home. Right. You bug in in the country for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And you've already developed systems. Yeah. But you do have to be concerned about getting stuck in a city if shit goes down while you're in the city. So, yeah. But that's a lot easier. Figuring out how to get home from the city is a lot easier than figuring out how to bug out from the city from your home. Yeah, it's true. Well, that was a whole lot of information for all of you to digest. And even if you're not living in the city, it's it's good information just to, you know, be aware of, of what's going on. And uh, this possible migration into the rural areas of city people, you know, that also affects people in the rural areas, too. Yeah. You know, like down here in Texas, where we are at currently, uh, there's a lot of people in Texas. And even though we are rural right now, which I'm very glad we are, if SHTF in like Houston or Corpus Christi or San Antonio we would probably have some waves, you know, of crazy yeah. here. So that's yeah. kind of something to think about too when you're when you're planning on purchasing. 
you know, how far out are you going to purchase? I don't think the suburbs is good enough. I think the suburbs will be a target of uh, desperate city dwellers, unfortunately. The more rule, the better. You just have to commit to it. You just have to make the commitment and do it. Like, Mm -hmm. yeah, I'm just going to move to the outskirts. Oh, I'm just going to move to the suburbs. It's just not good enough in this situation. I also want to mention, too, that if you're new to the idea, if you've been seeing things going on around you and uh, this thought of getting out of the city is fairly new to you, you're probably going to have a ton of questions in your mind about the logistics of making that happen. Um, So for sure, contact us, email us um, at theoffgridoutpost at gmail.com. Or oh, you can yeah. go to Maximum Off-Grid, um, leave a comment on a post. You can go to offgridmaker.com, leave a comment. Um, I answer all my all my comments every day. Yeah. And I'm sure Regina does too. So Pretty close to every day. Don't, you know, yeah, don't be worried about, um, you know, if you got some questions, ask them. That's well, what we're here we're to We're fairly experienced, so... You know, in one way, shape, or form, we have done the research, we've done the time, the due diligence. So there might be a question you have that you're having a hard time wrapping your head around that we may have the answer like immediately. So don't feel yeah. afraid to reach out to us. We're like, we're just like your typical human. <laughs> yeah. And if we don't have the answer, because of all the research we've done, the experienced research of us together is a couple of decades probably. If we don't have the answer, we know right where to point you to get it. Yeah, that's true. Um, I also want to remind people to rate our podcast. It really helps us uh, with our visibility and keeps us going. A little motivation, a little incentive, but also we have to have the determination to succeed as well, just like everybody else at any venture. Yeah. We're putting ourselves out there. You know, a lot of time and work goes into this. So, yeah. Yeah, we'd really appreciate it. Well, I hope you've enjoyed this episode, and if you have any questions or comments, reach out to us, and we will see you uh, next week. All right. Talk to you guys later. Take care. Here's a little teaser for what's coming next week. But it was just a picture of this white woman dancing with this black guy, and how the ad said, marijuana makes white women dance with black men, and and so so that's just... Right. And that's just an example of the morality of the time. You know, the the people who were in office were obviously uh, racist. Thanks for listening to the Off Grid Outpost podcast. If you enjoyed the show, don't forget to subscribe so you can get all the new episodes.